Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. We haven't met yet. My name's Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, it's just great to be with you on Christmas Eve here at Encounter Church. Uh, and I'm really glad to have you here if you're new as well. Hope you've taken advantage of what have we got going on tonight? Coffees, uh, M&Ms and eggnog. And there's a lot of free things. So just go absolutely crazy. Take it all. Online church, so good to be with you. Our last online service of the year. So this is the last one, but we will be back with you on the 7th of January and we just pray you have an amazing time tonight hearing from the Lord and uh, have a great Christmas tomorrow and a great new year. Feels weird saying that already. Let's get into the Word of God tonight. Amen? Amen. All right. Our teaching text tonight is from Psalm 121. I lift my eyes towards the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. Your protector will not slumber. Indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. The Lord protects you. The Lord is a shelter right by your side. The sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will protect you from all harm. He will protect your life. The Lord will protect your coming and going both now and forevermore. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Well, Merry Christmas and Happy Advent and so on. So good to be with you on a night of waiting and being ready and of anticipation. It's a Rocky Horror joke. That's... uh... Unfortunately, this microphone is working. Um, as, as we come towards the close of our series for Christmas, uh, we've been talking about hope, and hope has a name specifically, and focusing on the hope that we have in Jesus this Christmas. Tonight, I want to explore the way our hope wanders when we aren't careful, specifically the ungodly hopes we have and the foolish places we put it in. Now, I don't know about you, but this time of year, I put my hope in a number of really foolish things. So uh, I would say the most ungodly hope, like the most foolish place I put my hopes at this time of year uh, in our Lord and slaver, Jeffrey Bezos. And um, slaver, just to be clear, he, and, and his delivery system specifically. Has anybody else put their hopes in his delivery systems only to be let down this year? Anyone? Okay. Okay. I, I've got to say, like... Amazon Prime, because you're probably listening, you do a great job. Uh, you look, please don't delete me. I don't know how that works. But uh, I find that I put a lot of trust in those delivery systems and maybe a little bit less in other things that should be helpful. I, I put a lot of trust in the vendors behind them. I put a lot of trust in the driving skills of my fellow Adelaideans, which at Christmas time I discover perhaps are not as good as I thought. Uh, and in the... Uh, decision-making abilities of people going shopping at this time of year and, uh, frankly, in, in my own patience and grace for these people. And I find that my hope in all of these is sincerely lacking. So we've got to find our hope in something else. And we all have these unique stresses that play out in the holiday period. The problem is not the stresses. The problem is what we allow those stresses and circumstances to do to us. 
right? We're all going to go through hard times. We're all going to find stresses. But what happens in them? How do they dictate our sense of joy and hope? So for example, your sense of hope this year might be in getting a Christmas bonus. Now that's either a yes, no proposition. So you got to be careful where you put your hope or, or that you won't be laid off at work, which is a perfectly reasonable thing to hope for. But what if you are? What does that do to your hope? Maybe your hope is in finding love in 2024 or in in strengthening your marriage. Maybe your hope is that your family will pull it together this year or you have no hope that that will happen, which is just the reverse of the same problem. Where does our hope come from? And more importantly, where should it come from? What are we meant to do with this hope that we have inside of us? One of my most frequent discipleship questions to people, so people that come to me and they, and they want to grow in their faith, and, and I, I like to ask them, what do you really want? I, I don't mean what do you say you want when people like me ask you. I mean, if you are on a lie detector and somebody said, what do you want right now? What do you actually truly want in life? Because it's those innermost desires of the heart, that's where we discover where our hope is really placed and where our hope has come from. When we examine our desires and when we examine the God we want and the outcomes we think we need in our lives, that can really challenge us. Let's get into the teaching text for a second here. In Psalm 121, we hear the author ask that fateful question, I lift my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my hope come from? Where will my help come from? Now, why does he look towards the mountains? He doesn't look to the mountains because that's where Jesus used to go to pray, although he did. He doesn't look towards the mountains because this is where Jewish people are meant to go. No, he looks towards the mountains because that is where the pagan shrines were. He looks towards the mountains because that is where people went to worship to get what they wanted, just not from Yahweh, not from the Jewish God. So this Hebrew man is praying a prayer saying, where should my help come from? Where should my support come from? And he says, does my help come from the mountains, this place of pagan worship? Now the shrines in the mountains were made to the pagan gods of the land, the Canaanite gods. Canaan was the name of that region. And the key Canaanite gods were named Baal and Asherah. They were gods that represented different things to the people of the land, but mostly fertility. Now this is why this is important. If you're a farmer... You need fertile ground for a good harvest. So you pray to the God of fertility. If you're a shepherd, you want your animals to breed so that you have more to eat, more to sell. So you pray to the God of fertility. And if you are anyone at all, you want more hands to work the ground and you want more longevity for your name and your family. So you want more children. So you pray to the God of fertility. You can see how this might be important, right? Fertility was the difference between life and death in a lot of cases. I look to the hills, where does my help come from? From the hills, right? From the fertility gods. But praying to false gods always comes with consequences you don't expect. In the Old Testament days, the high places were where sacrifices were made that were too high for the outcomes they wanted to receive. Asherah was a goddess depicted as naked and pregnant. So to sacrifice to her meant to participate in ritualistic sex acts, which means you're putting aside your sexual ethics and compromising them for material blessings. So instead of a marriage covenant between a husband and a wife, the act of sex is prioritised as a shortcut to what they really want. Baal was a God who demanded huge sacrifices in times of crisis. So children were sacrificed for material blessings. 
So instead of a commitment to raising children, children are sacrificed in fire to get a shortcut to what they really wanted. What an evil thing to do. For the Hebrew people, the people who God had called His own, they knew that God was faithful. They knew there was only one God. But on the mountains, spiritual promises are thrown out, discarded for material blessings. Long-term relationship with God thrown out for a short-term gratification right now. Instead of a divine covenant with a personal God, there is a betrayal of worship and a rejection of God that becomes a shortcut to what they really wanted. That's what the high places become. Places of self-worship, of shortcut and of compromise. And of course, importantly, they don't work. Right? You could forgive them this stuff if it actually worked, if they got what they wanted out of it, but they didn't. At the high places, you're worshipping your own desires rather than God, and that doesn't work. Anytime you have to be in the place of God and fulfil that, how is that going to work for you? It's not going to work. You're not going to get what you want. Now, why am I talking about this at Christmas? I'm like 60% sure I'm going to land the plane today. Don't worry about it. One of the ongoing themes of the Bible is that Almost without exception, the kings of Israel refused to attend to the high places. So they might do these great things. They win victories in battle. They have social reform. They have acts of justice and political agendas and public works and infrastructure. And then it comes to the high places and God's saying, just get rid of the high places. And they're like, oh, we'll get, we'll get there, we'll get there. But they never do. They leave the high places intact because you can control your worship at the high places. You can control what you do. Who's the real God of the high places? You are. You are. Your self-determination, your sacrifice, you determine the outcome, you decide what you want. But how good is this for the kings? If it doesn't work, then the gods are angry and it's their fault. Now, you can see how this would appeal to a politician like a king, right? Like, if it works, I sure did it. And if it doesn't, well, the gods are angry, I guess. It's their fault. Very, very convenient. It becomes the great ongoing rebuke of God to His people. Why haven't you torn down the high places? Why haven't you torn down the high places? What are you doing? Why are you continuing to put your hope somewhere that is shallow at best and destructive at worst? Now, if you're here, and and let me just get a bit specific for a moment, and you're into things such as tarot or crystals and astrology, I've got to tell you gently that these are high places. These are things that you are trying to put your trust in and they're full of false promises and they deliver destruction. Now, let's say you're here and you're obsessed with self-help. That's maybe a little more mainstream again. I'm sorry to say that that is also a high place. Now, you might improve your body or mind, absolutely. And that is for many, many people a good thing, but it cannot become an ultimate thing. You might improve your body or mind, but you won't become the woman or man God is calling you and has created you to become. Your identity will not be being formed. In fact, it will be being shattered by the narcissism and destruction. Let's get a bit more personal again, which is what I know you were hoping I would say. If your job or career is the most fulfilling thing in your life, or you're obsessed with self-employment, or you feel like every boss you've ever had is a bad boss, red flag, These are high places. These are places of worship in your life. These are idols of control. If what happens in the lives of your family or friends, you are desperately trying to control all the time, or you are taking away responsibility whatsoever and saying, it's not my problem, it's not my fault, it's theirs. 
If they're not just causing you to feel empathy, but they are instead causing you to question your belief in God, these are high places. And that's the sneaky thing about the high places. We go there because it seems easier. Like I, I tell the interns all the time, and most of them listen, <laughs> that spiritual shortcuts are like KFC. Yeah, in the moment, you're like, dang, that zinger box is good. And about 30 minutes after, you're like, I've made a huge mistake and I regret it immediately. That's what it's like. If your personal fulfilment drives your heart for worship and not the other way around, there are high places in your soul. So the psalmist says, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? From there, surely? From the high places where we climb up, convinced that because of our hard work, our smart research, our education, our investing in the right people, our right friends, our brains, our marriage, our social status, our children, our wealth, our sense of self-importance, that will get the results we require, right? And the more we push into that and the more money we have, the more we can buffer ourselves against that up to a point. But this is not the way of God. It doesn't work. God invested in humanity from a position of love for an outcome of love. He gave us free will, the capacity to choose because love requires choice. It has to be given and it has to be received. But love also requires work. Love requires action. Anyone hoping for a shortcut should not choose love. In, in fact, you won't. You, you choose a quick fix instead of working carefully on a relationship. You, you choose plants and pets instead of kids. You choose a personal homemade spiritual blend that serves you rather than a living relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, these things are not always wrong. Like bring all the plants and pets. We love them. But... They cannot be your ultimate outcome. They cannot be your God. They cannot be the thing you say, if I have this, everything will be okay. That is a high place. And that will always become an idolatrous replacement for worship of the true God. All right. Let's go to Genesis 22. In Genesis 22, we hear the story of God and human sacrifice in high places. Verse 1, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. The God of Israel asks for human sacrifice. Wild stuff. Please don't leave the church at this exact moment. It would be unhelpful. Keep listening to the podcast if that's you. When they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Quite the lesson to learn. Am I right? Exactly, Siri. Let's just take a moment and pray for her. She doesn't get it. The gospel will land on everyone at some point. But um, <laughs> grace and patience. Like I was saying before, I need give me grace and patience, Lord. 
Okay. <laughs> Mate, I tried to warn you earlier this year, AI is coming for all of us, and apparently it's quicker than I thought. And maybe directed at me personally, I don't know. Okay, silent night, holy night. You got my back, Josh. <laughs> this is great material, mate. Don't worry about it. Okay, quite the test. Remember, Abraham and Isaac, that's where we were before, you know, the apocalypse. God comes through. And Isaac stays alive, but we begin to wonder in this story, or you should wonder, you should listen to the story and go, what's the difference between God and the pagan gods? Right? Like, this God has asked for human sacrifice. This God has demanded you do one thing, and then there's an outcome that you will get. Right? So what is the difference? But God was never going to make Isaac a human sacrifice. And if this just sounds convenient, just think about it. As Abraham brings Isaac up to Moriah, we see that God provides a sacrifice in place. But if Abraham never brings Isaac up to Moriah, he doesn't get sacrificed. Like it's, it's, it's actually pretty simple that way. Isaac was never being sacrificed. It just means that if he doesn't bring him up, Abraham is disobedient to God and he's not hearing the voice of God. There was never a moment when God wanted Isaac to be sacrificed. There was only a moment when God wanted Abraham to grow. That's it. That's all. But Abraham doesn't know that. So he goes to the mountains, to the high places, trusting that Yahweh, this God who has met him and him alone uniquely, is speaking to him and would provide the sacrifice. And on the mountains, Abraham learned that not only is God only the God of the living, not of human sacrifice, not of some sort of transaction where if you do it right, then he gives you his approval, but instead he is a God who gives what is needed and gives his approval freely without the things that we do on his behalf. Abraham obeyed because of God's approval. He doesn't earn God's approval because He obeys. God's love is already there. God doesn't always do what we think we need, not what we expect, not what we think we want, but He meets us in our time of need. He doesn't always stop us from the situations. And some of you this year have experienced situations where you're like, well, God, where were you there? God was with you, arms around you, walking alongside you. Just because He didn't stop you from experiencing suffering doesn't mean He isn't using that suffering to grow and bless you now and potentially grow and bless others through you. That is the way our God works. Isaac says, where is the sacrifice? Great question by him on the way up the mountain. And Abraham says, God Himself will provide the sacrifice. And so he did. God comes as the sacrifice, but He doesn't come in the high place. He comes in the low place, in a stable. He doesn't come as a conquering king down from the mountains, descending into the city in glory. He comes not as a conqueror, but as a baby. Now, why would you come as a baby? Because honestly, terrible strategic plan, right? Just, just think about this. Guys, God's coming, but here's the deal. You have to look after Him. Like, sorry? Like, that's an awful plan. It's an awful plan. I will probably be like drinking coffee and watching Netflix and God's going to wander off onto the road. Like you, you, you should not be leaving God with me like that, which is not how I look after children, just to be clear. Siri. 
Now, now mine's trying to get in the act. <laughs> you would only... See, we go to the high places so that we can have worship that's neat and transactional, uh, an ATM God where I can deposit some sort of sacrifice and withdraw my preferred spiritual outcome. That's, that's to give me the baby, that's insane. You would only come as a baby if your goal was not only to save people, but to shape people. And that's what babies do to you as parents, you know? They mould you, they grow you. You grow and adapt as they do. Now, interestingly enough, it's kind of not unlike what you want from a mentor, a tough guidance that shapes you into the person you need to become. Now, can babies also near break you? Yes, hear me parents in the room, sleepless, sleepless nights, toddlers being toddlers, total dependency, yes, they can near break you. But the goal is not to break you, but to shape you. The goal is to make you become a more holy person. One thing you can't do with a baby is pretend to be in a high place, to pretend to be in control, to have it all together. Only God has it all together, but because of our great need and His great love, He gave up His throne. Philippians 2 says that Jesus emptied Himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when He had come as a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. Friends, God came to live with us so that we would not try and manipulate hope through religious activities, but so that we would know that hope has arms and legs and a face and a beating heart and that the name of hope is Jesus. Hope became flesh and dwelt among us. Hope lived a human life so that we might know what that looked like and hope took on suffering and death in our place so that we might have have eternal hope with God. God himself will provide the sacrifice, but not in the high place, in the low place. So what do we do with our high places as I come to a close? See, Jesus came not just to save us, but to shape us, to show us not to dump our problems and responsibilities at the high places, but instead to trust God in and out of every season and to take personal responsibility for the way we live in his image as a holy people. So what do we do with high places? Well, number one, we tear them down like the kings wouldn't. We identify the things in our lives that we won't let God have a foothold in and we ruthlessly take them and we give them to God. The things you need to sacrifice on the altar to God are not ritual sacrifices. They are the things you are putting in place of God. Number two, we accept Jesus with humble hearts. Humble hearts. We recognise that we aren't God, that we need God, and that there's only one God. We worship him not because he needs it, but because we do. When we worship, it realigns our soul with the God of the universe. And finally, we become holy people. Now, let me be clear. I don't mean holier-than-thou people, like like. I'm up here, you're down there, judgment. Like, no. We become actually people of brokenness and humility who are formed in the way of Jesus. And instead of travelling to a high place to access holiness, we realise that at Christmas, holiness came from a high place to dwell in us. The disciple Peter put it this way, that we are now a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession. We become the holy people. 
Not because we're better than others, but because we fully realise our need for Jesus. We've aligned the truest, deepest needs of our spirit with God's needs for us and His desires for our lives. We've gone, oh, that's right. Your desires for my life are actually far better than my desires. I've got to stop shortcutting God, not just because it's wrong, but because it's killing me. It's killing this relationship. It's killing these relationships. That's what it does when we go to high places. We think we're winning and we're losing. It's like pokies for the soul. You will lose if you go to the high places and you put your trust somewhere else that isn't Jesus. The vision of God for your life and the vision of Christmas is that we don't look to the mountains for our help, but instead our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. It's not about the high place you go to. It's about the holy person who has come to you. Emmanuel, Christ is with us. Now, friends, like everybody else in the world, I've, I've done this and continue to do this. I put my hope in the high places before, I'll probably do it again. That's the reality of being a human being. I've decided that it's either too hard or too slow to make Jesus my everything. But every time I go to the high places, every time I try and take control back of my life, the results are devastating. They absolutely are. Your best case scenario is a shallowness of soul. Your worst case scenario is everything falls apart and you don't know why. But the reason is because your trust is not in God, but in, in, in you. And not only do I think that's untrue, I don't think it works. And I think those things are very, very important. Tonight, I believe the invitation of Jesus is here to come to Him. And actually, as, as we begin to worship and close with a couple of songs, I want to invite you to stand with me. We'll be standing in a second to sing anyway. Tonight, I really simply want to give an opportunity for people to be prayed for. You don't need to give us the reason or have a, have a thought about a particular reason. You might just say, I don't know why. I just feel like I need to be prayed for. And I'm going to invite our elders and our staff and prayer warriors to be down the front ready to pray. So if that's you, if you're elder staff or prayer warrior, please be down the front, just ready to receive people. And if that's you tonight and you're just going, yeah, actually, Mike, I would love some prayer. You don't know why? Maybe. Or maybe you do. But if you don't know why, that's okay. Come. This is for you. This is for you. The invitation of Jesus is here to come to Him, not in the high places, but in the humble place, in the low place, the stable without any complications to be prayed for, to receive the blessing of God, to be forgiven of your sins, washed clean and filled with the Holy Spirit. Friends, it's not time to go high, it's time to go low. Humble yourself. Come meet Jesus tonight.